Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. You can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our Facebook, YouTube, and podcast channels. Consider hitting like or subscribe. Consider sharing this sermon with others. It helps us to reach more people like you. We are so thankful to those who support our ministry. You can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give. In the name of our one true and loving God, amen. Please be seated. The first Sunday of Advent has become associated with a piece by Johann Sebastian Bach. And like a lot of Bach's work, Walk It Off wasn't originally by the great composer. Bach worked his music around a hymn tune that was already in circulation. What makes it Bach and what makes it great is something called counterpoint. And counterpoint is a musical term especially associated with Bach. Essentially, it means that two or more unrelated tunes are played together at the same time. That's part of the reason why we won't be hearing it this morning is because Mary Chapman uh, is a really wonderful music director and a really wonderful choral director. And she made it through her organ classes uh, when it was time. But to play it on the organ, you have to play one tune with one hand, another tune with another hand, and then another tune on your feet. And that's a little tricky. And so I didn't make Mary do it the Sunday after Thanksgiving. <laughs> but this counterpoint in Bach's original music, it's in the fourth movement of the cantata where this originally happened that he later arranged for organ. And, and at first, it sounds like a sleepy prelude. It's got a slightly punchy bass line, but it's a sleepy little kind of late November, wet rainy, wet, rainy day prelude. And then about 12 stanzas in, the tune Sleepers Wake, a voice is sounding, suddenly begins. That third line comes as a surprise, as an interruption. And Sleeper's Wake is a theme that resounds through the readings we have today for this first Sunday of Advent. Sleeper's Wake. Advent comes as an interruption, a surprise. The rest of the world is celebrating the arrival of the commercial season of Christmas. And we say in church that today we begin a new year. We've decked the church not in you know, holly, or in green, or in red, but in blue. We've lit the first candle in the Advent wreath. While the rest of society will be jingling all the way to the 25th of December, we are playing a different tune. And for Christians, this year begins with waiting, with anticipating, with longing. And there's a spiritual wisdom to Advent, isn't there? Today, we're told to stay awake. Advent includes always a warning. God is coming. And not just in the sweet, nostalgic way of Christmas pageants, but as a disrespectful disruption to the status quo. Our hope as Christians always lies beyond the present time. Our hope, our Advent hope, is that the world as it is will cease. God will come, maybe with those clouds descending. 
There are Christians out there who believe these prophecies in a frighteningly literal way. Right there. There are Christians who are counting on the rapture as an exit strategy. I once got in an argument with a friend who self-identifies as an evangelical literalist about climate change. Now, my friend is enough of a scientist to say, yes, he believes that global warming is attributable to human causes, but he then said to me, but why would we do anything about it? The Bible tells us this world has to pass away. Well, dear friends, is that how we ought to read this passage from Jesus? You will be unsurprised to hear me say, I don't share that opinion. What then are we to do with this assertion by Jesus that the coming of the human one, the son of man, as earlier translations would have read, what are we to do with these frightening, frightening predictions? Should we lose sleep? Now, frankly, in our world today, anyone who isn't already losing sleep just isn't paying attention. If you're finding your sleep disrupted, you're not alone. But I would argue that Jesus is inviting us to a different sort of wakefulness, out beyond anxiety. The theologian and contemplative teacher Barbara Holmes wrote in her recent book, Crisis Contemplation, these words, shared them with you before this fall. I'm stuck on these words. Barbara Holmes says this, despite all evidence to the contrary, I insist on seeing our current state of affairs as the rupture of one state of being that will prepare us for another reality. The rupture of one state of being that will prepare us for another reality. We are then at a moment of rupture, and we don't need the prophets to tell us. The news uses the term breaking point all the time these days, along with similar phrases like at the edge. We can feel the edginess, the breaking. What Barbara Holmes is inviting us to also see, what I believe Jesus is inviting us to pay attention to, to wake up to this morning, is the possibility that the world needs a good break. The injustices that make, that the world perpetuates, the injustices that make up our status quo must cease. So if you need a break from all the intensity, you're invited to come and sit this season in a quiet church to hear the counterpoint there is hope beneath it all. Hope that justice might still reign. Hope that despite all of the ready-made displays of wealth and power on offer, the quiet insistence of love might outlast. You can hear that promise in the words of Isaiah this morning. And these words became the refrain of one of my favorite spirituals. Ain't gonna study war no more, ain't gonna study war no more, ain't gonna study war no more. This Advent, can we dare to imagine with Isaiah? Imagine the resources that would be available to our society if we could truly forget how to wage war, if we didn't feel we needed to invest so many billions of dollars every year 
and the development of weaponry. What human creativity could be unleashed? Can we even imagine the world prophesied by Isaiah? We would need a rupture, a break from the world as it currently exists. Dare we even imagine? This week, the interviews with Richard Fierro, the dad and army veteran who, with the help of a drag performer, stopped the shooter at Club Q in Colorado Springs, those interviews came as a disruption for me. I didn't expect somebody like Richard Fierro to show up. In the interviews, he appeared shaken, humble, and yet firm. This straight Latino man called the LGBT community our community. And then he said, I had to defend my family. Amidst the mourning still going on for what happened last Sunday, there's also a note of hope. Unarmed love stopped too heavily armed hate. Imagine if that was the picture we painted of masculinity today. It feels unrealistic, but in a world addicted to violence, Advent comes as a disruption. Again, Barbara Holmes, and she writes that in order for us to work for the change, we need to pay a particular kind of attention. We need to cultivate a particular kind of wakefulness. You know, Holmes grew up in the black church, and she lives in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Much of her book, Crisis Contemplation, was written in response to her experience of the protests after the murder of George Floyd. But Holmes says in response to crisis, we need more mystery, not less. And spirituality is not just for those who are comfortable. Spirituality helps people under siege to transcend hatred and sustain hope, to meet devastating violence with communal resilience and peaceful resistance. How do we stay awake? How do we cultivate this kind of attention? How do we keep our eyes on the goal despite all that is going on? Not with more fear, but with hope. Not with more hate, but with love. Not with more frenzied consumption, but with noticing all of the pregnant possibility in each moment. How do we stay awake? By slowing down and amplifying the good news still present in our world. This season of waiting, of hope, of expectation, it's a time of practice. Our world doesn't wait well. Advent asks us to practice waiting. Even amidst the tinny holiday music clinically designed to make us buy yet more junk. Underneath the disastrous drumbeats of the news, listen. There is another melody playing. There is a counterpoint. Part of what I love about Bach's Vauket Off is hearing how a musician or a conductor chooses to interpret the music, how they bring in that third theme. 
when I studied music, I was both a tenor and a trumpet player. Now, I couldn't see them, but I would bet that a bunch of the choir just rolled their eyes as if I had made some deep revelation. That explains everything. Okay, but let me also say, the best trumpet players and the best tenors still know we have choices to make. The player can blast the announcement. And sometimes that is the disruption we need. Sleepers wake can come out like a blaring alarm clock for an early flight out of town. Honestly, though, I think Advent is better served by gentleness, a mezzo forte at most. My favorite recording these days of Walk It Off has Yo-Yo Ma introduce the new melody quietly on the cello. Ma plays it with a certain longing, the kind of longing, the kind of waiting, which might even be a gift, especially as it contrasts in this particular recording with Chris Teeley's earnest, insistent plucking on the mandolin. Longing can be a gift. It can, when contrasted with the saccharine intensity of our days. Advent points us to the coming of the Messiah, but if we are willing and able to listen, God's disruption is always there, always available. We simply have to pay attention, make room for waiting, and allow ourselves to feel the hopeful longing of the season. God's reign of justice, God's reign of love, has the power to be present to us in every moment, even the loud moment of today. We simply have to slow down, get humble, and listen for the counterpoint. Blessed Advent to you. Amen.